for Highlander Cast. Uh, I am your typical host, Vance. Uh, with me also, I've got a special guest. Hello, it's Ben from the committee. Um, some people know me as Mouse, but I'm pretty sure in the magic scene, most people know me as Ben. Excellent. Um, yeah, so we've got Ben along to... Um, we're going to have a chat about... Uh, ben will be our first topic. Um, uh, as I think he's the only committee member who hasn't been on the cast yet, so get you to introduce yourself, then we'll have a bit of a chat about CanCon. Um, and then we're going to have uh, a chat about um, some cards that people think could have points taken off them and just, you know, not committing the committee to anything, but just a bit of a chat about why that might be a good idea, why it might be a bad idea, you know, a bit of a general discussion to give people um, some insight into the thought. Yeah, 100%. And Vance, thank, thanks for having me on. It's been actually in some ways too long. I know we spoke a lot at the beginning, I was like, oh, yep, new committee members, let's get introduced. But I, we just haven't been able to sync up the timetable. So it's been, it's good to finally be here. Um, for those who don't know me, yep, my name's Ben. I come from Wollongong. So not um, not exactly the, the mecca for Seven Point Highlander, but we've got a nice growing scene and we've overtaken Friday Night Magic. So Highlander is definitely the, the, the town's format now. Um, I've been playing Magic for quite a while. I'm about 30 years old and I've been playing Magic since I was in high school. Even actually, to some extent, I had a bit of a break, but I have memories of playing it in primary school as well, where the I guess, you know, back then there was like no sleeves. Everything was like, you know, straight onto the concrete. So the cards are very scuffed, but I still have my original soldiers with equipment deck. Um, and I remember winning a lot of games basically by putting, you know, 15 pieces of equipment onto Loxton and Punisher. Um, and usually Fire Shrieker plus Loxton and Warhammer got the job done. So... Yeah, I've been playing for quite a while and basically all I play now is seven point. Like it's my favorite format, it's the best format, so it's all I do. Yeah, look, it's a sweet format. Um and Loxit and Warhammer is definitely a card that would kill a lot of people in uh the schoolyard uh in the day. So yeah, that that checks out entirely. Um what kind of decks do you like to play? Um, look, I, I guess traditionally I like to play control decks. Um, I've played, you know, I like Vance, you and I have played against each other many times and I believe literally every time, no matter what the format, it is nearly always some form of blue white control versus some form of red green monsters. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily commit myself to any one deck type. Like I do like, um, tempo decks as well. Um, and I do like mid range decks. Like when birthing pod was in standard, I loved birthing mm. pod. Um, I guess the only formats, the, so the only, um, uh, decks I don't tend to play a lot of is like aggro. Um, like I, you know, I, I don't have any anything anything against aggro. And certainly when I first started coming to FNMs, my deck was mono black vampires in Zendikar because it was the cheapest deck around, which I could you know get, and that was kind of an aggro deck. But um, yeah, no, mostly tempo and control, and you know, occasionally I dip my toe into like combo or grindy mid range. And how did you go at Cancon? Look, I went four four. Um, so you know, it was all right, but I think uh, I definitely could have done better. There was definitely a game where. I think I'd drawn maybe 15 cards off Library of Alexandria and still managed to lose, which really just goes to show it was the last round and I was very tired. <laughs> it was a really long day. Ultimately, like, you know, my, my, I didn't have as much time to prep as I would have liked to, but I'll just come back next year with a fire in the belly and uh, definitely more sleep <laughs> and uh, ready to try and improve on the result. Yeah, look, and I, I can't actually, because I interviewed a bunch of people um, for the last episode, I can't remember with you one of them, but... Everyone I spoke to, both you know, in general and as part of the last episode, really loved the event, had a good time. No one had really a bad word to say about any of their opponents or the decks they played. Like, lots of variety. Um, really, really fun times. Um, yeah, I, well, I, I'd I, echo that sentiment 100%. I, I played against the guy who was on Mono Green Hardened Scales, which was just awesome. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> and I ended up coming victorious in that game by resolving an Inferno Titan, so it really felt like I was back in 2010. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. And I played against um, a guy with like a Bomberman deck, which I mistakenly thought was a Breach deck. <laughs> didn't, did, did pretty badly in that matchup. I had an Archon of Cruelty, Cursed Mirrored, and I feel like that... That mirror cursed me for the rest of the tournament, um, but certainly, yeah, yeah cer certainly, like, yeah, lots of lots of cool decks, lots of decks which I've never seen before, and that is, you know, that's the point of the format, right, to enable that kind of creativity. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I'm trying to think exactly what I played against. Uh, I played against goblins one round. Um, the initiative. Um, 
uh, a a channel deck that I thought was channel mirror, um, but was just sort of channel featuring mirror instead, um, which led me to sideboard badly. Oh look, I can't even remember. But it was lots of variety. Um, what was your channel opponent by any chance? Was um was it like a bald gentleman with a beard? No. Oh, uh, interesting. Because so. we one of one of my friends who was like kind of his first seven point tournament took channel monsters, um, featuring mirror, <laughs> and uh, so it was like channel or drowsy things. And so it's it's funny that there's more than one person on that kind of like wild channel brew. I'm not gonna swear that it, that there wasn't that person, but. I think the person I played had no beard and long hair, um, but maybe I'm just mixing my opponents up. Or mixing terribly sorry to you if I am. <laughs> well, yeah, yes, indeed. I was so confused by that mirror. I don't even know what my opponent looked like. Um, yeah, no, look, it was a fabulous uh, event. Um, great judge staff, great tos. Uh, there's one coming up in Melbourne. If people hadn't heard about it, um, called uh, what's it? Is it the Mana Clash? Mana Clash. Say? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which is being run, I think it's being run by um, Pog and Pat and um, Nick C from Brisbane. Um, it's got, you know, a time walk for first and a Mox Emerald, I think, for second and other good prizes. So um, now I've got to work out if I can, you know, make it down there because that sounds like an incredibly fun event as well. I'm also in the process of figuring that out. Not 100% sure yet, but... <laughs> For those of you who didn't listen to the last episode, um, I did an episode with quite a lot of background noise by design uh, at the event where I interviewed, I don't know, 10 or 20 people who'd played the previous day, so I did it on the Sunday. Um, so if you want to hear more about CanCon, um, definitely check that out. Uh, fabulous event. If you weren't there this year, there were 191 people there this year. Um if you weren't there this year, definitely look at coming next year because uh, I imagine that Glenn's going to try and make it even bigger and better next year. Well, yeah. Uh, it, wa- it, it really was... shows the strength of the format, doesn't it? You know, oh, like yeah. yeah. Such yeah, amazing yeah. growth. Cause I, and I don't believe like you know there was any unprecedented advertising campaign. It's not like it was on the television or radio or anything, right? It's just this is organic <clears throat> community gathering on Discord, you know. The, there's a lot lot more preceding events which get people hyped like you know pat's birthday bash Canberra. yep um i attended another one in sydney which was on at good games like it really is you know and i believe wasn't it something like the largest eternal um eternal tournament in the southern hemisphere or today or something like that it's the largest ever eternal tournament in the southern hemisphere um it's also i'm almost certain the largest highlander tournament of any kind so obviously there have been command fests with 10 times as many people but they're just you know a series of small four-player tournaments for the most part um, but it's definitely bigger than any australian highlander event uh, except the league which is kind of different um it's bigger than any canadian highland event i think it's better than, bigger than any european highlander event although some of those events have been over close to 100 i don't know if they've had any over um, well, look, yeah, it know, was huge this year Absolutely the southern massive. hemisphere Next year, the world, and then we'll get the Americans yep. flying down to be a part of what is the glorious Seven Point Highlander craze. Ah, <laughs> uh, look, that would be uh, amazing. Um, and we do have a lot of people from um, North America in the Discord. I think it's like 150 or something have um, ticked that as their location. So, you know, if you're one of those people, um, have a chat with whoever's running your next Magic Fest or. GP if those ever come back and say, hey, I'd like this event, because I reckon you would get 20 people easy, and you might get more. Well, the other uh, thing I like to ask the people who come from overseas are, is what, you know, if they do have little local metas, what are they like? Um, yeah. Certainly, one of the things I did want to ask you, Vance, is about the, about the most recent pointings, but one of the, um, one of the things, like little anecdotes which came up in the discussions, was obviously goblins received some points for, you know, kind of the first time ever. Um, and my, I've got some friends who had like a small German group who they get together once a year. There's like eight of them and they just play a little, you know, a little tournament. And so we asked them, you know, well, what's the, um, you know, what's your meta like? And their response was consistently, Goblins is an absolute sleeper monster deck. It's way too good. And I don't know why everyone isn't playing it down in Australia. And they've been on this train for like five years. So <laughs> they'll probably um, be, be, you know, vindicated that finally it's receiving some points. 
Yeah, look, and Goblins is, is one of those decks that's always been good. Um, well, certainly since uh, Conspicuous Snoop was printed, always been good. Um, and that was probably four years ago now. I don't actually know. Um, but yeah, look, it's a good deck that has always been putting up decent results. Um, and I think Recruit is a pretty reasonable choice. Um, well, do we want to pivot, yeah. um, Vance, just um, asking, well, you know, talking about the most recent points changes? Yeah, yeah. So that sounds great. Um, I don't have a list of them handy, but let's go from memory. So uh, Goblin Recruiter got a point. Uh, Caves of Chaos Adventurer got a point. Um, another red card got a point. Ren and Six got a point. Ren uh, and Six got a point. Um, Bowmasters, Fortheolingus, Mana Crypt. And Spellseeker. Spellseeker is the last one, yeah. Look, uh, I think that's a very defensible set of points. With any set of points, there's always options where you could have done A or B. Um, I, I don't think it's... Um, like, unless the choices were disastrous, which I do not think they were, I don't think it's worth being like, oh, well, we should definitely have done X instead. Um, I think Mana Crypt... I was a bit on the fence about Mana Crypt uh, until... I saw the results from Nationals. Um, the data the is just shocking, isn't it? How many people are playing that card? And it's, it's, it's hard to say in that, like, um, you know, I, I think Mana Crypt will always probably be a little bit more represented than its power will suggest because in the grand scheme of ways to spend money on points, it's actually kind of like a budget option um, yeah. in, in terms of money for power. And it easily slots into a deck which, you know, is usually also a budget deck, right? Like aggro decks, which rely predominantly on, you know, cheaper cards. Um, but that 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 was definitely not the case at this Nationals. Like this Nationals was, not only was it everywhere, but it was also, you know, highly represented in the top, like top eight and top, top 16. And in the end, I believe the winning deck was a Mana Crypt deck, was it not? Um, oh, the winning deck was, yeah. Yeah, the winning deck was um, Mardu Initiative, which I am almost certain was on... No, I actually am certain it was on Mana Crypt. Um, I'm not sure the Jun deck might not have been, um, but certainly there were other decks in the top eight on Mana Crypt. And, and Mana Crypt was also... So it was the most... It was, I think, the second or third most played pointed card overall, which is crazy for a four-point card. And it was the most points spent on a card by, like, as much as its next two or three rivals combined. Well, I mean, the first point definitely implies the second, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. But, but like, it wasn't like there was other three-point cards that were, you know, up in the top couple. Like, Moxes combined had vastly less points than Mana Crypt spent on them and vastly less copies played. Um, and that's partially because of availability, but we've had smaller events with more Moxes played in them in the past. So the Moxes exist in the community, or certainly used to. I mean, certainly, um, like, it's probably just the case that three drops are more powerful than two drops, you know? It's, it's like... <laughs> Why, why are you going to settle for a two-drop on turn one when you could be casting a three-drop on turn one? And certainly the format has definitely rewarded that strategy recently. Yeah, and Wizards have also rewarded it, right? Like, in recent... You know, there's the, the 2020s effect um, of cards where there's a lot of cards printed recently which are very powerful for their cost. And if you look at that, a lot of those are in the three and four mana slots. Um, there's some in the two mana slots. There's not actually that many in the one mana slot. There's a couple like um, Dragon Rage Channeler and whatever, like obviously great cards, but... And Ragavan, um, you know, very good one. Ragavan, I guess, is okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but there, there are a lot of powerful three and four drops. Um, also a lot of three and four drops which uh, generate the initiative. Um, so yeah, look, I was very happy to see uh, Case of Chaos uh, Adventure appointed. Um, I do think the points list personally is a bit of a, a bit of an inflection point where <sighs> the other initiative creatures suck. Like basically all of them are, are, are kind of terrible creatures if they didn't have the initiative text on them. Yeah, the and, and it is a very large like for you know for, for a, a text which is so few words. Like when it comes into play, you get the initiative. It is yeah. a very large amount of you know subtext, right? Because the dungeon oh. itself is so. <laughs> powerful yeah yeah, yeah. i think with yeah. Ca I, look i i personally this is the way i think which this will go the initiative um the, the, the initiative kind of fits into decks in one of two ways one it's like just 
the one t top end card of an aggro deck which yep. kind of you know thinks it can keep combat so they're more than happy to have the mechanic you know in their strategy um and if, if it ends up being that that's fine because i don't think any of the four drops or you know or white plume um are that problematic by themselves as just like a last you know the top of the curve for aggro the the yep. second the second way though is these dedicated all-in initiative decks where they play as much of the mechanics as they can with as much fast mana as they can um and i suspect what will happen is you know they'll probably use mana crypt um you know for as long as they can afford the points but when more and more initiative cards get points i'm not i'm not saying that more will but you know if they did they'll have to resort to maybe like you, you know using mana elves instead of the mana crypt um which will be a notable slowdown or uh it'll be the case that as you know if more initiative initiative um cards get pointed there'll be like an inflection point where they're about as powerful as other mid-range slash aggro decks and that's what we're yeah. trying to find right because yeah yeah if there are too many free ones the the more cards which say you get the initiative kind of gives you a greater ability to retain the initiative than your non-initiative opponent right because they have to win it back with combat you're winning it back with you know combat and cards which just say you get it um and also you know the fact that you have cards which say you get it means you can really zoom through the undercity and accrue those bonuses faster so having access to yeah. a lot of zero point initiative cards makes that strategy better uh but but hopefully with this caves of chaos pointing we'll be hitting the critical mass of points where you don't get to run all of them or you have to start running some truly bad slash expensive ones and hopefully that'll put the deck in a in a power level place where it's not disruptive to the format as a whole but yeah you know we're always fingers crossed that it'll work this time but uh you know i'm sure some players will go out and show us that you know there is untapped power out there but that's the fun of the format isn't it yeah and and the other thing that pointing um them does is it means that people can't just run them and all the fast best fast mana um which, which I think is going to be another inflection point where you'll get to a point where, you know, if you're casting... Sorry, I'm just looking at Chifley's list now. Uh, Chifley, who was the winner of uh, Nationals. Like, if you're casting uh, Blood Boil Sorcerer on turn four, like, it's not terrible. The initiative is good, but it's not earth-shaking. It's not more powerful than other things you can be doing in the format at that point. Yeah. I don't think any deck will ever settle for, like, sorry, any true initiative deck, like, not as opposed to, like, an aggro deck with just, like, a powerful four drop. I don't think any, like, true initiative deck is going to settle for um, doing it on turn four. They're always no, going to make agree. use of either Mana Crypt or maybe, like, Ancient Tomb City of Traders or, you know, some combination or, or like, a Mana Dork or Elves. Um, I know I know in Pauper, like, Rituals are quite popular and, and who knows, maybe that'll make a splash in seven point. Um, and... It, it, you know, it's, it's entirely possible that it's actually not clear at the moment which one's better, like the many initiative creatures plus mana elves and ancient tomb versus fewer initiative creatures plus mana crypt, which one of those is better. Um, but, it, you know, it's also possible that whichever deck that is is actually an appropriate power level now. But if it, you know, if it still continues to be way too good, well, then I suppose that's like a challenge the committee will face in the future. Yeah, yeah. Um definitely and so the other question um i wanted to spend some time chatting about and some people have been posting in the discord about um if you're not in the discord you should join it um you can find it from the facebook group or from the notes of this or if you go to 7ph.com.au there's links to it there um but let, let's ask some questions about cards that people think could lose a point and some of these i don't think are a long discussion um some of them i think could have interesting impacts uh so crop crop rotation is one that comes up a lot well, can i can i can i quickly just before we jump in jump into this yeah, yeah, i think go for it. as a really good transition between the previous point of discussion and the um and this one is you, you always want to be promote trying to promote more diversity in the format right more archetypes yeah. more decks more games and it can be easy to, to think to yourself well here's an underpowered deck what it needs is a point um, as in it needs like an extra point to spend. And with that extra point to spend, that will make the deck competitive. Um, but one of the things which is very difficult is that often the good decks take advantage of those depointings better than the decks which aren't quite there yet do. Um, and I think the classic example of that was Mana Drain, right? Where yeah. Mana Drain, 
and I agreed with the depointing at the time, and I think it was an excellent decision of that committee. But it was like one of those things where the combo decks kind of unexpectedly took better advantage of mana drain than the control decks did. Um, and so with this pointing, what we were really trying to do was instead take another strategy of saying, what all of the decks which are currently not super powerful need is for all the best, best decks to just become a little bit less powerful. And so, yep. you know, taking points away from those ones. And so I think that's a, like a good thing to keep in mind as we talk about uh, these, the, you know, these um, D-pointer cards coming forward is that the, my, my first question to, you know, for all of them is going to be, yeah, sure, like, you know, crop rotation, lands might use this deck, but might Jund just use this deck better or, or you know, insert, you know, yeah, yeah. And look, that, that's, that is an excellent point, is you've got to balance unintended consequences. Because as you say, you know, if... Um, not that it's going to be what's happening, but like, if you're in a position where you're like, oh, um, Zoo likes playing Moxes. Maybe if we take a point off Moxes, it'll help Zoo. You're like, yeah, that's great. But it also means the initiative decks are just going to switch from playing Mana Crypt to playing two Moxes. And we don't want that because that's going to suck for everyone. Um, like it is very, it is often very difficult to predict the unintended consequences of depoting. Unintended consequences of adding points can also happen, um, but they they are in many ways slightly easier to predict because you're reducing the phase space of all available things that any given deck can do. Rather well, yeah, than they they're just it. less hazardous, right? Like if you point. Yeah. If you point something, the worst case scenario is that like one card becomes unplayable. I mean, there are of course niche cases where that card was a you know crucial part of a combo deck or something, and the combo deck becomes less playable. But if you depoint a card and it opens up some sort of you know previously untapped configuration of points, you can have an explosion of power where it wasn't yeah. intended. Whereas you know, generally speaking, depowering is less hazardous than empowering decks. Yep. Yep. Um, and I guess the other point I would make is that um, a number of these ones we're going to discuss are points that uh, I was definitely involved in putting on. Um, so we, we can, you know, talk a bit about the background of why it happened at the time. Um, but yeah, let, let's start with crop rotation. All right, well, look, yeah. So the first thing is that, you know, um, I'll tap the sign, so to speak, on the you never know if a deck better than the lands deck might use crop rotation. So... It was so a, a, like a different deck might use crop rotation better than lands. I, I think that like so. The second thing I'd say in crop rotation is any any card which tutors other powerful cards is always going to probably need to deserve a point. Um, yep. And right now, crop rotation I think has a number of very compelling targets: Talarian Academy, Mishra's Workshop, even Urza Saga. These are all other pointed cards. And being able to run functionally like an additional copy of them in your deck for free um, is definitely something which the committee will always be thinking about when when considering whether to point it. Yeah, and look, um, I think one of the other big ones is um, Gaze Cradle, which is not pointed, but um, you know it is a very powerful card. Um, I'd have to have a look at the stats to see how much it got played at nationals, but I'd imagine there was quite a few copies of it. Um, it's not as expensive as, say, Library, from my understanding. I think Library's about twice as expensive. Um, but it is about as expensive as, say, like, I think it's Underground Sea kind of price without actually going and, you know, Googling it right now. But it's, it's that kind of ballpark. So it is um, not cheap. Um, yeah, look, I, I think Crop Rotation, I definitely agree with what you've said. It, it is a card with some inherent risks and the format has sped up a bit. It, it, it's in not quite the same situation as the top deck tutors um in that it isn't a top deck tutor it just does a thing straight away um but yeah look i think it'd be an interesting one to discuss but a reasonable one to um uh leave the point on um so um i mean think another, i think another thing to point out about crop rotation as well is that um so so we've kind of talked about like powerful lands in proactive plans um yeah. but it also gets like strip mine um and yeah and, and and one of the things you know which uh, you know obviously you you want people to have you know like a, a good time playing the game and definitely it is a good time strip locking your opponent when you're the person doing it but it's also the <laughs> it's also the type of uh play pattern which i think kind of in the name of fun it's okay to have just a like a small tax on um 
Yeah, so like, you know, and then Fastbond probably falls into like a very similar category, right? And, you know, it kind of makes sense to move to Fastbond after crop rotation because they probably would go in the same deck. Um, is that, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't want the like, you can't play anymore game plan to be too free. Um, and yeah, and, and since these cards cost one or zero and, you know, their lands, it's not often the time for the other player to like kind of catch up and interact. Um, except, and I know people are going to bring this up for mental misstep, which, um, <laughs> look, yeah. and, and, you know, and you know what, honestly, the, the, the fact that mental misstep is in every deck is probably one of the reasons why people feel like crop rotation is not powerful because it will always feel like a huge gamble playing it. Um, and I have a lot of sympathy for that argument, but personally, you know, and obviously I'm not speaking for the whole committee here. I would be looking to point mental misstep as a way to make crop rotation a bit better as opposed to depointing crop rotation. Like that, that would be my solution kind of in the same way of you want to make everything else a little bit less powerful rather than, you know, making everything more powerful. Yeah. Misstep is, um, a really interesting position because on the one hand it does hurt a lot of you know it can feel really bad when it happens it does hurt a lot of decks it hurts cards like crop rotation very bad like you know as you say getting your crop rotation misstepped uh is uh it might be the worst thing it actually might be the worst thing you could misstep (laughs) yeah yeah but on the other hand misstep acts as a little bit of a speed bump for the format like it does kind of inherently slow the format down slightly um just by stopping some of those turn one plays whether you want to be stopping those turn one plays from every deck is a different question but that that yeah um so another interesting pair um that a couple of people have suggested um is the equipments uh so skull clamp and jit um i'll speak to them first briefly um skull clamp skull clamp was a perennial fight between um melbourne and sydney uh, melbourne and canberra for a long time where we thought jit was better and they thought skull clamp was way better um and over time they both ended up at one um skull clamp i think is probably a bit too powerful to be free or has the potential to go you know a bit wild jit on the other hand i was a long time defender of jit at one and i'll be interested to hear what you think but i think these days jit is a little slow like i I, for a long time i would have paid a point for it in zoo i'm not close to that now um anyway sorry what do you think on them both yeah well look i I think i think they're very different cards um skull skull clamp i'll speak to skull clamp first like what what skull clamp does is it lets you spend Spare, turn spare mana and spare bodies into more cards. Um, and presumably, if those cards then give you more mana and bodies, you have a seemingly recurring value engine. And so yep. perhaps the reason which um, you know people don't feel like it's very powerful now is that it's not like mana and um, board presence is like very common and to spare. Like a lot of these games are put on quite True. tight clocks. And so you don't have time to be you know, raising the alarm, so to speak, you know, or, um, you know, just casting a whole lot, of, whole lot of things and then investing more mana into making them die. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think definitely a, a, a speed of the format like we have now is always going to make Skullclamp feel as as unpowerful as it could be. Um, but, you know, for all we know, oh, and also, so I'd say on top of that, also the amount of cards which are really oppressive to X1s is, is yeah. you know, like, so yeah, the Bowmasters, Ren and Six Fury... Um, these cards are going to make you feel bad for putting a whole lot of skull clampable permanents on the battlefield. Um, so it was, look, I would definitely want to see what the effect of like the Renin Six and um, Bowmasters pointing is first before doing the talking about skull clamp. Um, but it, look, and and you know like the the committee is always trying to you know keep the format at a pace where you feel like you're playing a real game of Magic, and yep. that that pace probably does reward like skull clamp. It probably does make it. A powerful card um and you know but wizards is always going to do their best through fire design to speed the <laughs> speed magic up um so yeah i guess i guess kind of like what you're saying it's a it's a card which is dangerous in the sense that if the format ever gets the pace which rewards it the person who puts it on the battlefield gains such a huge amount of advantage from it yeah yep 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 i suppose actually one other thing though is that 
you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, full disclosure, I don't have any strong feelings about Skull Clamp either way. I could be persuaded by reasonable arguments. I think, I think I could be persuaded that there is so much, so many cards nowadays which just do something good and also have destroy an artifact printed on them. Um, that maybe, you know, maybe Skull Clamp is not quite as good as it was. Like when it was first pointed, I believe cards like Abraid, Colligan's Command didn't exist. And now we're getting that no. card, like that pick your poison, like which apparently just kills everything. You know? um, yeah, maybe that's a reason to also think that before it was a particularly troublesome, hard to remove permanent. But but now like every other card, you know, even in blue, red, like Flame of an Ore, you know, we'll, we'll kill it. Do you have any thought? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Look, I I think that is. Um, I think that's definitely true. Um, that X ones like there's never been a worse time to be a Savannah Lion. Um, sorry, I'm just looking up. Pick your poison. I've never seen it before. That card's really good. Oh, for for, for context, it's a it's a new card from the most recent set. It's single green yeah. for a sorcery, and it's choose one. I think it's target player sacrifices an artifact or an enchantment, or a creature with flying, or yep. what, what? Is there another mode, or is that it? No, no, it's those three modes. And it's each opponent, not that that matters for for uh, for us, but yeah. Um, yeah, that card's great. Yeah, take that, um, Merxider Regent. <laughs> yeah, it's a sorcery, but wow. Um, yeah, look, there's never been a worse time to be a Savannah Lion, right? Um, that's going to be ameliorated a bit by Bowmasters and Ren and Six both getting points. Um Fury also was put on the watch list. Um, I'm not. I'm not super convinced by Fury as, as a point, but you know, look. It, I also think it, it's not unreasonable. Yeah, it, Fury is interesting. If you look at the numbers of them played, I think it actually is the most played threat, or maybe it's like one or two behind Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Um, I'm just defining threat as like you know, card with power and toughness, or something that could kill your opponent, as opposed to like you know, Lightning Bolt, which there are, there were more Lightning Bolts. Um, yeah. And uh, that that's interesting, you know. That means like a lot of different decks are playing it. Uh, and but but at the same time, and this is the reason why it's watchlisted, not pointed. It could be the case that actually just reanimate is the problem, or maybe reanimate's not even the problem. But it's just the decks which play those cards plus random six and bowmasters are the problem. So I, I guess we we'll just have to wait and see what the results are like to you know get a bit more information as to where the power truly is so it, it, you know fury could could get a point but it of course it could also it could also not yeah just depending on how people play in the future yeah so i've just jumped into the um the nationals data which i think the spreadsheet's not quite complete yet they're still putting in some of the um, ones that didn't submit electronically um uh, if you are playing in a highlander event and you can submit electronically you make everyone's life better uh so you know do that if you can but um yeah, there were 78 copies of Fable and Orcish Bowmasters, which are both, you know, arguably uh, in that kind of category. But yeah, the next after that is 75 copies of Fury. And that's out of about 150 deck lists. I think there's 30 and, or 40 And this there the are moment, Furies so. in the sideboard. Did you look at the sideboard Furies? No, I didn't. I right. didn't. So once you include those as oh, well, right. it's right up there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um and, and it's possible that all those people with them in the sideboard, me included, by the way, um, were just wrong and they should have been in the main. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that, that's yeah. Skull Clamp, I think. We, um, I, I have other thoughts on JIT, unless you have any closing thoughts on Skull Clamp. No. No. Yeah, so look, JIT, I, I, yeah, I am way more persuaded that jit could go to zero i think i'm more in the 70 percent jit to zero um camp i am mean, so the main reason for that is that just yeah spending four mana for no guaranteed benefit is a lot nowadays um it's you know like like swords of x and y which are only one more mana see absolutely no play and i don't think anyone will consider them either um in qu equipment in general like unless it's doing something straight away uh you know or, or it's very cheap like shadow sphere tends to have fallen out of favor uh the only, like but the reservations are and i've heard, hear these arguments and I, I think they are good is one it's such a reliable hose of creatures that any deck which is conceivably attacking could just sideboard it for very little opportunity cost in any color and pose the creature decks a real headache um and that that's a you know 
I get that, 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 that would be a pain in the ass if that happened because it definitely wouldn't be promoting diversity in deck construction. Um, and the other one, uh, actually, no, you know what? I can't remember what the other argument is. <laughs> what's, what, what's the most common objection to jit being uh, pointed that you, that you hear? The most common objection is basically what you said, that it's, it's kind of slow. Um, and a lot of the creatures getting played are more powerful. I guess the drawback is it does, it's another card that oppresses X ones. Um, and although it's slow, it is the sort of card that if you get to a point in a game where it's meaningful, it's probably going to take over the game. But counterpoint to that, I guess, is the number of four mana spells that basically take over the game on themselves these days is quite high. Like, there's a lot of unpointed cards where you can be like, if I've got Kess in play and I untap with it, provides huge amount of advantage. Awesome card. Basically unplayable. Um, and like, as you said, uh, the Swords of X and Y, which used to be Highlander staples. Uh, again, I'm just in the spreadsheet at the moment. There was one copy of Sword of Fire and Ice in the event. Um, I don't think that person did very well, although I haven't found them yet. Um, but like, you know, those cards are unplayable like and you look at some comparison points of other 1.4 mana threats right like if one person goes jit um attack and the other person goes like one ring you you'd you'd think the one ring players coming out ahead um i'd i'd like to say comet but i guess it depends how the dice roll but but comet can definitely uh i think comet could definitely be a lot more explosive than jit um and like some other ones, like Season Dungeoneer, you know, getting the initiative is probably more powerful than having a Jitte. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I don't know. Look, Jit's one of those cards where, yeah, I think we could probably consider depointing it. I'm not all the way there yet. I'm happy to hear what other people think. But certainly, um, you know, I, I would I would like to I, I guess I I guess I would like to see the format at a pace where a card with Jit's mana cost could be good before depointing it. Um, yeah. You, you definitely yeah. wouldn't want to be like, let's slow the format right down and at the same time enable all of these cards to be free, which take advantage of a slow format. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it, and I guess the other thing um, that uh, the committee considers that people don't necessarily when they're making these suggestions, some people do, but um, it's kind of a different mindset, is um, you've got to consider what the upside is like there's some downside risk to depointing this um so you've got to find the upside positives as well like does jit at zero like this this, you've got three options which are not equally weighted but your options are jit at zero uh gets played and makes the format more enjoyable uh jit at zero doesn't get played at all or jit at zero gets played more and makes the format less enjoyable um so you know you you have to wait and consider what those um what those kind of risks are um so yeah look i think jit is an interesting case look um, I, I, will, I will say this in favor of in favor of um depointing it or in terms of like an upside i think one of the things which equipment in general do is they make um creatures which are like poor bodies but maybe are reasonable value engines or something like i'm thinking cards like um Thraybid inspector or um, militia bugler, like, or you know, or, you know, obviously this isn't going to be played in Highlander, but like squadron hawk, um, it it makes decks like that, so creatures like that, feel better to play, because once the jits in play, it kind of doesn't matter what you're attaching it to in a, in, a, in a way, like it's about you know, and so I, I think kind of yeah. those kind of value synergistic creatures don't get as much um, play in Highlander as just the powerful bodies which are powerful in their own right, like yeah, you know. Yeah. I feel like every threat kind of, you know, feels the pressure to be a haymaker at the moment. So maybe depointing Jip would enable a bit more of those, um, you know, junky creatures to, <laughs> to rise a little bit. Yeah. Sorry, I've just realised, looking at the list, uh, I played the person who had Sword of Fire and Ice. Uh, they were playing White Weenie. Um, I right. think I played them in the first or second round. So well, that, that's what I'm go. saying. Well, there you go, White Weenie, right? Like creatures which are yeah. not as powerful in their own right, but made powerful yeah. by the presence of equipment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Oh, that, look, that's, yeah, interesting. All right. Um, so that's a couple of one-pointers. Oh, uh, Natural Order is another interesting one um, where I can certainly... 
I can certainly see the position. Um, I don't think it's unreasonable. Like you, there are some additional risks that maybe people are going to be getting um, a Traxa, right? A Traxa is probably the big oh, I, threat. I, I, yeah, I was going to say a natural order for me is like a. I'm, I, I can never imagine depointing it because I think it's so hard to lose a game where you've resolved an Traxa because it finds it finds you. You know, it gives you a very good shot at finding you the tools you need to then not lose the game. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If you're playing like some kind of let, let's say uh, natural order reanimate style deck, you might put together natural order into a Traxxer definitely finds you the tools to get your next thing, even if they deal with a Traxxer. I mean, yeah. look, I, th I think nat natural order feeling not powerful is a product of X ones not feeling powerful because it's right at home with yep. elves. And I think yep. um, I, I think it would be a worthy goal for the committee to, you know, make X ones playable again. Um. And so, you know, because they should be. So, so many cards in Magic are RX ones. Um, Lots and, of fun cards. Yeah. So, so I think, you know, it's probably the priority in there should be, let's just make the X ones playable and the natural order will feel like a point again rather than de-pointing natural order. Yeah. It is um, a funny world where, like, the best four or five elves aren't elves. And part of that is because Delightbird Halfling is a one-two. <laughs> Um, yeah, cool. Alright, I've got a couple of two-pointers that um, we might discuss and then um, we'll see how we're going. That might be enough uh, to round us out. Um, so we can discuss them both at once because they're kind of uh, broadly similar, different but broadly similar, uh, which is True Name Nemesis and Uro. Um, go. True, na true Name, um, tr I think True Name's very powerful. I, I don't know, like, I, f I feel like I definitely remember last year at Can before KingCon, everyone said that True Name was not good, um, and I played it in a Grixis deck because I thought it was very well positioned against the initiative um, and came second. And it was extraordinary in all the games I played it. Uh, yep. I, I think again, True Name, it, it not being good might just be a product of the, um, I guess like the decks which want that effect not being very good because if you're a little bit more of a controlling deck, having a moat which can then attack later. Um, is a very desirable, you know, thing to yeah, have for three mana. Yeah. But I don't know how many decks are playing that strategy right now. Like control kind of seems to be in people's mind a little bit underpowered, but I, I suspect that that's again, like a, a format speed thing, you know, like if, if the format slows down a little bit, true name will become much better. I, I tend, oh, look, I, I have suggested, you know, I've suggested a couple of times in um, the uh, X committee chat that we have, um, that true name might be an experiment worth doing. I'm relatively confident if you depointed true name six months later, you would point it again. Um, I think part of the issue with true name is, as you said, people just haven't in any format, no matter how many players there are, there's some amount of group thing that think that goes on, right? Where people are like, oh, deck X is bad, card X is bad, so people don't play it, so it doesn't get played. Um, I don't think that's entirely what's happening, but I think there is a degree of that where a lot of people think true name is a bad use of two points, and so it doesn't get um, the airtime it deserves. But also I think a lot of people just haven't played recently many games against true name to remember the miserable feeling it can be. Um, on the other hand, it is it is worse than it was when it went to two. Um, De definitely, yeah. It, it is worse than it was. It's probably just one of those annoying one and a half point cards, which, you know... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you you kind of I guess rather err on the side of depowering than powering the format, and you know let let's be real, like it, it it's not like a blue decks and blue tempo decks need that much help, you know, like they consistently seem to do quite well, um, you know, even when people uh, like Blue Moon, I, I've been hearing is dead for a long time, but it keeps showing up in top eights, you know, because yep. you know the blue is a powerful color, it does a lot of things, and I think making it choose which tool it wants to win with is is a fair enough thing to ask of it. Yeah, look, absolutely. And um, before we move to Uro, um, it's definitely the case that one of the strongest decks in the format at the moment is uh, Grixis. Um, the, uh, the, the bus stop Grixis, I think, is played by um, a number of very strong players played it at CanCon. Uh, it did quite well. There was one, arguably two in top eight. I think there was two, but one of them was splashing white for like two or three cards. So it was a slightly different list, but it was essentially the Grixis list. Um, and as you say, that 
that's one of those positions where you're not the points list doesn't exist in isolation like the points list isn't just some cards and then in brackets off in the corner true name nemesis true name nemesis is one of the options people have so you might be in a position where you're like ah look let's not put that to one when those decks are really good even if there is a chance maybe they wouldn't play it but there's no strong there might, there might not be a strong format benefit to making that change yeah i mean and at the end of the day point, pointed cards aren't banned you know like um yeah. it, you know they, they, it, it could be the case actually that a grixis list which plays true name instead of luke true is still highly competitive um yep. and it might in fact have the edge in some aggro matchups because it's very difficult to find time to put luke true in your hand if you're facing down against mono red but yeah. it, it's it's worse against like mid-range and more grindy matchups where you want the extra value from the loot tree so or, or maybe it's the case that just the fact that black is very popular at the moment so sacrifice outlets being you know quite ready you know readily available makes true name worse but those are all like contextual factors which are kind of separate to the card itself um yep. you know it could be the case you, I, I could imagine an entirely plausible future where say in the next um points update fury cops a point x1 spread out everywhere people get back on the savannah lines and then suddenly grixis is thinking all i ever do with this loot tree is just pick it up and die i want true name nemesis you know to to help preserve my life total and so you know that 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 to me seems plausible enough um but look you know if it if it really does see no play for a long long time well then maybe we'll we'll, we're we'll always have a second look at it but i I think i think for, for now it's it's okay too yeah, look, and and certainly at I think it was one of I think it was the first one of Pat's events uh, in Canberra that um, one of the Grixis lists in top eight was on I think it was one of the Grixis lists was on True Name, um, and it was doing really well for them. Might have been no, I don't think they won. No, that wasn't. But anyway, it's a powerful card. I can understand where people are coming from, um, but I, I think it's more powerful than perhaps is um perhaps it's an amount of play might demonstrate um yeah uro is another um interesting one that someone was asking about in the the discord when i put this thread out yeah i mean look uro um uro is very powerful i kind of i think one of the main reasons which uro will never like uh see as much play as maybe perhaps other two point cards is just that like blue blue green green is a very particular casting cost so you need to be very deep in two colors do you know what i mean it's not like you can you can't splash this card easily um and so but but that doesn't mean it's not very powerful for the decks which do use it i don't know do you have any thoughts on those kind of like color color restrictions it is obviously it's very restrictive but at the same time like mana bases in the format are relatively close to perfect right like you can get goozled uh sometimes um uh, I had one of my opponents, Nats, who was uh, on Uro and was stuck for a turn or two where they couldn't get it back because um, they couldn't quite, you know, manoeuvre their mana to do it. Um, but it is a very, you know... I think it's more beatable with aggro than some people believe. I think it's very, very hard to beat in the mid-range yeah. matchups. It's a, it's uh, a very much king, possibly, king of the possibly. mid-range matchup, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there was also quite a few copies that were played no copies in the top eight no top 16 i don't think just having a quick look um but it's the second or third most played two-point card in the event so you had um oh no fourth most i missed ragavan so you had ragavan 34 copies which is quite a few uh minsk and boo at 27 uh lutri at 18 and then 13 copies of Uro in the event is you know and, and, you know, that probably just shows it is in the right position, you know? Like, it, deck, decks which yeah. want that effect are willing to pay for it. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really do think the mana cost is, like, a like a relevant consider. Like, for example, right? Like, if Uro, um, instead of the green, cost black, Grixis would be playing this card, you know? Like, yeah. Um, yeah. And certainly, like, I've seen Jund, Jund lists which play Croxa, um, which I think is a, an objectively worse card. Um and and it is difficult mm. to have your splash color be a double cost. Do you know? Like Grixis might be able to splash green for something, or more, probably more accurately, as you're alluding to, some previous Grixis lists have splashed white for th- for the single pip on fourth Earlingus. 
But yep. Grixis will never be splashing double green. Like that that would be very difficult. Um, and likewise, you know, um, you know, Jund is going to have a very hard time splashing double blue. Uh, or, or, you know, look, please someone out there make a Jund list that splashes double blue and, and make a fool of me because that would be very <laughs> awesome to see. <laughs> Specifically for Uru. Yeah. But, yeah. but yeah, but like it, it, it's, it's, it's for, for the decks that are on the blue, blue, green, green, mid range plan. This is almost certainly best in slot. Um, and, and that's probably why it deserves to stay at two. Yeah. Look, those are solid arguments. And I was actually, um, I'm surprised that like there were twice as many Uros played as Okos, uh, which is much more splashable. Um, so, so obviously people are perceiving a reasonable amount of value there. Um, so interesting. Um, all right, one last one that someone asked, and it's one I know I've suggested before, and I'm, I'm not convinced it's actually a good idea, but I think there's some interesting arguments for it, and that is Caracas. Oh yeah, <laughs> interesting. So I'll, I'll, I'll make the case for it first, and then we can discuss why that's probably not actually great. Um, the thing I like about Caracas um, is that it combats a lot of the. 2020s three and four drops um we we actually had a match at uh, one of pat's events where um i was on red green monsters uh unsurprising um and on like my thought my hand is great and on turn two you played caracas and i'm like uh, none of the cards in my hand have text yeah because <laughs> uh, because I, I had um a hand with minsk and boo and uh Laelia and I think I had Ragavan. You played Ragavan, I think, five times or six times that game. Every, yeah, 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 yeah. And I think you and, had Nissa as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had Nissa. Um, yeah, it was just like, oh, <laughs> I, I can't do anything with all my incredibly powerful cards. Um, and that's that's both bad and a positive, right? Like forcing people to diversify off some of those ludicrous um, legends um, isn't terrible. Um, but now I will let you discuss the obvious downsides of this plan. <laughs> Look, yeah, I, I think the the it, it just combats legends in like the wrong way because it's a yeah. land, you know, like, and it's a land which add, which adds a color. Like every white deck would just put this in, um, and it would be almost wholly arbitrary and random as to whether you happen to draw your Caracas when they draw their hand of legendary threats, um, and so that's probably you know. I don't think that's like in particularly encourages health, a healthy format. Whereas if, for example, there was a card, like an enchantment, let's just call it for the, you know, I hope this card doesn't exist, like Fall of Heroes or something like that. And it was like single black, all legendary creatures get negative two, negative two. I don't think we'd be pointing that, right? Like, because yeah. that, that is a narrow answer, which does exactly what it wants to do very well. Um, it doesn't also tap for mana. But if that card was like, for example, a... I don't know, like a single mana mana rock, you know, which tap for any color or everything would be like, well, this this is silly. Like e every deck's going to put this in because why wouldn't you? Um, yeah. So yeah, I think the fact that Caracas is so easy with basically no opportunity cost, all you need to be doing is playing white. Um, yeah, that which, which probably means it needs to be a, p a point. Look, and, and I do actually fully agree with you. It probably does need to be a point because I don't think you even need to be playing white. Like I think if Caracas was at zero, it would get splashed a lot. Yeah, like, yeah, you might, yeah. You know, there's... In 150 decks that are in the spreadsheet so far, there's, you know, 131 mental missteps. I reckon the number of crackers would be not that far behind. Because the opportunity cost for adding an essentially colourless land to your deck is... It's not zero, right? Like, it, it's a long way from zero. But a lot of people are on multiple colours. A lot of people do have some amount of white in their deck. And um, the effect, when it's good, is amazing. Yeah, and look, the other the other kind of like a comedic side effect is that it probably led to a lot more fourth year linguses because all the red decks yeah. would be like, oh, I mean, I'm in white anyway, you know, like <laughs> might as well splash it. Um, yeah, and and it does, and I think they're much less powerful now than they used to be. It, it does cause some um, occasionally unpleasant game states with like, you know, uh, Vendillion clicks and Vences and whatever. Um, that's not really fast enough for the format now, but it's probably something that people would try at free. I I. So. I I will say, even though you said it was the last one, Vance, I I feel like Sav would uh, be very upset if we didn't talk about Demonic Tutor. Oh, yes, Demonic Tutor was on my list. Yeah. So it wasn't one of the ones that people mentioned recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Demonic Tutor. Um, and, and I guess Demonic Tutor comes in a package with discussing Imperial Seal and Vampiric Tutor as well. Like, yeah, they're they're yeah. all related. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Well, look, yeah. So I think um, 
I think Sav makes good arguments. You should read it in public points discussion if you haven't. But basically that, you know, when the for again, it's when the format was slower and when there were less powerful cards around, having two mana to get one of the few very powerful cards that existed unconditionally was very good. But now that there's just a lot more redundancy in terms of, you know, card quality, um, you know, getting Demonic Tutor is just a way to waste time to get a card which is maybe only marginally better than the other card you got. So and what, what that means is basically, you know, like, a mid-range deck is never going to be putting Demonic Tutor in because it wants shielded every time on turn four or something like that. And, and and in that sense, it becomes nearly only a combo card. And as a combo card, it's hard to say that like a two-mana sorcery um, is, you know, where you want to be. So uh, like, you know, because there are, there's like, again, time pressure to combo off. There are, you know, cheaper ways to get like points-wise to get your combo. And also a lot of combo pieces are very points-heavy. So yeah. spending, you know, all of them on one tutor when you could split the monks up amongst, uh, you know, three one mana tutors is probably better. And, and look, I think these arguments are quite good. Um, it, you know, demonic tutor probably could safely go to two. Um, but again, I, I suppose one of the, you know, I, I would need to see a lot more decks because specifically what I'd be worried about is, you know, like um, uh, Black Lotus, Yorgmoth, Swill, Storm style decks. Uh, they seem the decks which most likely would be poised to take advantage of this card. Uh, so I, I think there's two categories of decks that would worry me with DT losing a point. I'm, I'm not convinced it can't. Um, I, as you said, Sarg... Sarg? Sarv. <laughs> um, he makes pretty persuasive arguments. Like, there's a reason we enjoyed having him on the committee for um, as long as he wanted to be there. Like, he's thinks about the format a lot, and he has good ideas. Um, I think my fear would be, I mean, as you said, something like um, some kind of Willstorm deck might be the boost they need, because I think that deck is not far off being really good still. Um, uh, JP, um, I think he ended up dropping um, at X3 um, at some point during the event. Um, but I think the only thing holding Storm back at the moment is that Lotus costs so much that no one plays it. Um, I, I think you could innovate that into a really powerful deck, probably already in some kind of tinker variation. Um, and so whether DT would be better, who knows, but it's definitely a risk and maybe it's a risk that's not worth taking. I think the other concern I would have at the moment is a number of the most powerful decks in the format, which tend to attract a lot of points, are the various hybrid combo decks. So, you know, your, your, um, your breaches and your oracles and various things. Um, and I don't think there's an obvious current build of any of those that would spend two points on DT, but it is a risk factor that something like um, Kate's Doomsday List, for instance, maybe that deck would just be like, yeah, DT's exactly what I want. I'll throw out whatever current points I'm playing that aren't Oracle, maybe that are Oracle, and I'll play DT instead because it's enough better in enough situations. I, th I think those, de those types of decks will almost never play DT over Profane Tutor. Um, because like they really only need to, you know, go off once and they want all of the mana they can have access to, to spend on the actual like Oracle or breach or whatever. Uh, where it, it really is like, it is actually more like breach decks, which generate a lot of mana and want to cast the card more than once. Um, yeah. which I think is where D2 would find a home in. And, and look, you know, I, I would, I would be willing to, I mean, obviously I can't speak for the rest of the committee, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what, what they think. I'd be willing to give it a go at two. Um, but I'd be much more willing to do that than put a card like Imperial Seal at one. Um, and, th and the main reason for that is like de decks which are quote-unquote turn two combo decks like Channel or Flash, you know, decks like that. Being able to go like turn one, get the missing piece, turn two, do the thing. Um, that's a particularly powerful effect. And, and I think like Mystical Tutor is about as narrow a tutor as you can allow in that spot, whereas a card like Imperial Seal, which gets like the Flash and the Hulk, the Channel and the piece of Eldrazi, it's doing a lot more there. Yeah, look, that that's a reasonable argument. Uh, Imperial Seal, my only consideration is... Um... Oh, did I? Can you hear me? Okay, cool. Sorry, I might have leaned back too far for the microphone to pick me up. <laughs> um, look, I, I tend to agree... Um, turn two combo decks aren't reliable turn two combo decks aren't great for the format um, I think it's wonderful that people can turn two sometimes like it, it is one of the things that can be really fun 
people really enjoy playing those sorts of decks. But if they are too consistent, too reliable, then you're speeding up the format more. You're pushing out anything that remotely resembles a reasonable deck. Um, the, the one thing that uh, makes me a little bit uh, more um, curious on Imperial Seal uh, than I was when I was on the committee um, is that the Double Masters reprint has put the price through the floor. So what one of our problems, one of our concerns when we put it to two was that it was, I think it was like $800 at the time. Scryfall says it's $1,000 US now for the Portal 3 Kingdoms version. But the cheapest version is now 70 US dollars, um, which is, you know, much, much less scary a price <laughs> um, for a potentially, you know, powerful card. But yeah, look, I agree. And, and I think Vamp, it's a funny old world when Vamp is the one that is, I don't think anyone thinks it should go to two um, because it does just facilitate turn two kills so well. Um, you don't even have to risk doing it in your turn and having your opponent build up some interaction. You just do it at the end of their turn and everyone dies. Look, I, I think I think um, I think the same for the same reason which people would say. Look, there's not a huge amount of turn two kills going around because of Imperial Seal. Maybe Vamp could go to because like no deck wanting to kill on turn two is going to be playing Vamp over Imperial Seal. I don't think. I mean, it, that maybe they would to put well just because it costs an extra point for the same effect if you're actually killing on turn two. Whereas Vamp, you know, it has that element of surprise. Like you can hold up some interaction if you're a bit of a slower player, you know, deck. Wait to draw part A, Vamp end of turn for part B. Um, so, you know, look, I don't think Vamp to do to two is as, is, as cra is as crazy as it sounds. But again, with all these cards, you know, you know, as I said at the very beginning of the discussion, you, you, you want to always think twice before enabling some sort of explosion in, of power in the format because that does tend to, you know, it, it narrow people's decks and structure choices much more quickly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I will, I will say one other thing though, kind of, you know, to, to give the other side of the argument um, some airtime as well. A lot of the t decks we were talking about, like combo-wise, like Storm, for example, are not super represented in the format at the moment. And, like, I, I feel like combo decks in the format have really coalesced between, around either Thoracle, Breach, Time Walk, um, and kind of the one coming back again is Flash. And if, if people want to do things like tinker in channel and cast 100 spells in one turn, and if that becomes a bit more of the, you know, combo uh, arrangement of choice, I don't think that is the worst thing. Like, part, you know, part of what makes Seven Point good is that there are almost, like, different seasons. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, but certainly when I started playing, the, the, the Storm deck everyone was on was, like, Channel Mirror. Um, and that was really cool. Uh, and but, but, you know, now it's Thoracle and Breach and um, Walks and Flash. But maybe it would be okay if we, you know, went back to traditional, like, getting killed by Tendrils and stuff like that. Because, you know, uh, there are way... Or, or maybe even Bolas' Citadel Tinker, for example. Because I think just some of these other combo decks, it just enables different suites of interaction, you know? Like um, like your Silences, which are not that great against Thassa's Oracle decks. Or, um, you know, like... I mean, obviously, there are some timings, but they tend to be more resilient. Or, or your Deafening Silences, again, which, you know, not good against not good against um, Thoracle... Um, yeah, like that. You know, there are just other other, or, or you know, if you're playing a Bolas Citadel deck, simply putting a clock on, you know, or having a piece of artifact a removal handy, or having a not um not no rod that won't stop the static ability. But but yeah, like having a piece of artifact removal handy, or just like you know depleting your opponent's life um you know life total. Like if you've got a a fire blast in your hand, when your opponent starts going off with um with Bolas Citadel. That could be a very exciting moment for you <laughs> as you're trying to keep your cool as every single spell is cast and you're waiting for the... Do you know what I mean? Like that, that, that's like a proper tension in the game. And even if you lose, you know, you have that, oh, if you'd only cast one more spell, you were gone, you know? Whereas, you know, like you don't, you don't have that with a combo like walks. Um, so, yeah. you know, if someone was to make a look, it's time for the other combo decks to, um, to, to, to have a go. Oh, I, I'm sympathetic to that argument and um, it's definitely one which I yeah, would raise with the committee nice. and, you know, have considered by everyone else. Yeah. Well, look, those are all great points um, and I think one of the other points I just want to make um, to people uh, in the Discord and otherwise is um, if you've got opinions on these things, um, have a chat with your local committee member if you've got one or jump on the Discord. They're all very, very approachable people. Um, and uh, 
extremely keen to talk about the format. Like, you know, there's a reason the committee are volunteering their time to do these things. Um, and it's because of, you know, a passion for the format, a love of discussing it and thinking about it. So, um, and as well, like I'd say, like, um, like I try to read public points discussion, you know, and keep up to date with it. Um, I, I like to think of myself as perhaps one of the most persuadable people in the world, even though, um, you yeah. know, some people interpersonally, um, in my, you know, my, my inner circles might think I'm very stubborn is that, um, <laughs> I, I really like a good argument, you know, like I think a lot of the times in, com- in committee, I will come with a lot of ideas, but I, um, often find myself convinced by the reasonings of the other members, which is, I suppose, why you have five of them. Um, yep. But, yep. but, but yeah, like, you know, if, if you bring something to me and I haven't heard it before, but the reasoning is sound, I will definitely consider it. You know, I've changed my mind on a lot of pointings as, as time has gone on. And, um, and I think the format is definitely better for, for having, you know, just, yeah, as long as there are reasons and not like I'm sick of this card or whatever, you know what I mean? As long as there's a, a good reason yeah. for appointing, I'm, I'm always keen to hear it. And I often bring up arguments I hear from other from people in person or from the points discussion into the meetings, just so that they can have their their time of day and be considered. So yeah, definitely be part of the discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I often try and um, get people to do in those public chats and try and tease out of people is why they think a card is a problem or should be depointed, um, because as you say, it's much more compelling. For everyone concerned to say, I think true name nemesis should go to one because X, Y, and Z. And these are the things I've thought about. These are the places where I think it would see play and places where it wouldn't. Like, you don't necessarily have to write uh, a Sarve length essay. Um, but it's not a drawback if you do. Like, providing more information won't necessarily get the other person to agree with you. But as you, it's, it's a much better chance than just saying, D point true name. Because, you know, that it's very easy to ignore. And, and certainly I think um, you and I are quite similar in that when I was on the committee. Basically everything that was suggested between meetings that had any modicum of reasoning behind it, I would at least put on the list for discussion. And some of those discussions can be pretty short where you're like, person suggested this, this was their reason. I don't love it, but, do, you know, let's have a quick chat about it. Great, we've had a chat. Cool. Um, so yeah anyway thanks so much for your time absolutely um, you too Vance yeah and look you know hopefully this gives people a bit of insight as to the you know types yeah. of thoughts which go into why cards are pointed right or, or not just to clarify you know uh, you know, in signing out um, I am only speaking for my own opinions and not necessarily those of the other committee members um, and it, you know in a discussion like this it's good to you know think about both sides of the issue but I'm, I'm not trying to use this as like a platform to crusade for any, any card to be pointed Unless that card is mental misstep, in which case I will absolutely crusade for that one to be pointed. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, if if you want to um, contact me, um, uh, if you want a Twitter equivalent, Blue Sky is my current uh, platform of choice, um, and you can find me there as uh, Vancey and Notions. You can find me on the Discord all the time. Um, Mouse Ben. Yeah. Um, I am mouse forty two in purple chat on the Discord with the stockfish photo of the of the business mouse. That, that's where you can find me. <laughs> yeah. um, and the rest of the committee can also be found there. So you know, jump in, have a chat. Um, you will always find people willing to have a discussion with you. So thanks so much for your time, and we'll talk to you later. Bye. All right. See you, Vance. Bye bye. Yeah, I thought that.